Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. I'm your host, Dana Buckler, and I am pleased to welcome back for this, well, frankly, breaking news podcast, this emergency broadcast, if you will. I knew Phil was going to be back on the show, but I didn't expect him to be back on this quickly. But the news that we're going to be talking about is a true game changer. For those who don't know what we're talking about, Warner Brothers has announced that there are 17 movies, there are 17 big productions that were supposed to be theatrically released in 2021. We'll still get a theatrical release, but they are going to also premiere day and date on HBO Max, the streaming service. Phil, first, how are you? I hope everything is well. And then I'm just going to jump right into your thoughts on this major announcement. Yes, well, no, uh, Dana, great to talk to you again. I, I apologize to uh, your listeners for having to hear my voice again so soon. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> other than that, we're, we're doing well here in Los Angeles, safe and sound. And yeah, you know, it's funny. It's big news what Warner's decided to do, particularly, you know, from what I read, they they did not give theater owners across the country a heads up at all. They just dropped this bomb on them and you know if you recall earlier in the year universal tried something similar where they said they were going to do a bunch of their movies i don't think every movie but they're going to do a bunch of their films day and date and and amc and everyone else went insane on them and there was a lot of crossfire uh over that and universal kind of subsequently backed down but i think that since the pandemic began and theaters closed in a way it's been a long time coming it, it, it isn't that shocking at all to me i mean if you're kind of it's just it's just math it's it just boils down to math it's it's i don't think it's a thing where anybody is against <laughs> theatrical releasing or no longer wants to have movies in theaters uh in fact studios make more money at least so far uh with the way it's been they make more money on big hits on their big hits in theatrical releases than they would on streaming um so you know that they would have learners would have loved to have had three four hundred five hundred million domestic for tenant they would have loved to instead of whatever 56 or something like that where it ended up somewhere in there so but with theaters closed essentially i mean yeah i know they're open in some places but probably not for long given the trajectory of of covid19 uh through the winter and even if they are open in some pockets of the country uh, you know obviously attendance is non-existent so you re- what choice do you have you have all this product 17 movies you realize maybe in the fall theaters around the country will be open, but then you probably did it. They probably did a bunch of market research and asked thousands of people around the country. Will you be going back to movies in the fall somewhere in fall? And and if the answer was 40 or 50% said, yes, that does not work. That's just math. That just doesn't work. It's half full theaters equals an unsuccessful theatrical release. That's, you know, in any normal time, you said, oh, we released our movie. Great. Well, only half people, you know, theaters were only half full. Then they went to a quarter full. Then they went to 10% full. And then fourth week, it was over, which is essentially tenant. 
and highly anticipated movie, you'd say, oh, well, that's a flop. I mean, Tenet domestically, I know it did 300 and something million worldwide, you know, on the uh, internationally, I should say, but domestically at 56, Tenet's a massive bomb, which I, it isn't. I'm not saying that, but it would have been in a non-COVID environment. So you're sitting there going, man, we were the first out. Tenet, you and I talked a lot about Tenet getting to be the first out, Tenet getting to bring movies back to theaters. You know, uh, uh, they were going to pull out all the stops and show everyone that Tenet can do it. And it didn't work. You say to yourself, well, we can't have that happen for Wonder Woman. We can't have that that happen for Dune. We can't do this. And so now, specifically at Warner's, you flip it over. Warner's has HBO Max. As we all know, that's where all the movies are going to go to. Or those of you that are listening, now you know, that's where the movies are going to go to. All right, so... HBO Max, and I actually did a teeny bit of homework on this. So HBO Max has 34 and a half million, HBO, excuse me, has 34 and a half million global subscriptions, but only 8.6 million people have signed up for the HBO Max service. So you got around 35 million people out there and heck, they aren't even – they're like, yeah, HBO Max exists. I'll just watch HBO on my provider. I'll watch it on my cable stay, or watch it on DirecTV or however they get it. They're like, why don't you sign up for HBO Max too? It's free because if you have HBO, you also get HBO Max. It's free. It costs you nothing but to download the app onto your phone or tablet or your Apple TV or um, – actually, it's, it's not on Roku yet, but they made a deal with, with Amazon and and – just sign in and you have access to every, I mean, you, you've seen it, right? It's amazing. You have access to all of Warner Brothers content forever, but only 8 million. So 25%, actually a little bit less than 25% have signed up. They're freaking out. They're like, this is crazy. We're not even making those people pay $14.95 a month. They're already paying and they won't sign up. That's bad. It's just bad. It's in fact, it's terrible. I mean, imagine if you had a product and 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 you're like, we're giving it to you. You already get it, but we're giving you a bigger, better version that has everything. Because your regular HBO just has whatever they're broadcasting at the time, or maybe you record onto your DVR. But this is free, and 25% sign up. In meantime, Disney and I'm looking at the exact number right now has 73 million people paying for Disney Plus. So you got eight, they've got 73. You should at least have the 34 that are that are already paying for it. So what do they say? They say, we can't get it in theaters. We're not going to make the money we're used to. We're going to bring in way less than half. I mean, you got to assume Tenet would have done 200 million in this country. So say Tenet brought in 25%. I think it probably brought in 20% of its domestic potential, if not less. So they're saying at 20, 25% for our best movies for Wonder Woman, we, you know, can't, we can't continue this way. You can just see the meeting. This cannot continue. So it started with them floating, floating Wonder Woman. And they probably watched and their HBO Max subscriptions probably bumped up just with the just with the announcement of Wonder Woman. They went, huh? And they'll bump up as we get closer to Christmas Day. And now they have something to market 
for HBO Max. They have nothing to market. Well, football today, I was watching football today, like some of the rest of you, and there were Wonder Woman ads, but the Wonder Woman ads were for HBO Max. Not HBO, and not movie theaters, but HBO Max. So now they've got something to market HBO Max. And a lot of those 34 million people that already have are going to wake up. They're going to wake up and go, wait a second, I can watch Wonder Woman for free. Uh, and and so um, I think they, they tested the water with Wonder Woman. And then they went, we're going to go whole hog. We're going to own the idea of day and date for a year. Now, they're, they're saying it's a year experiment. We'll see how it goes. We'll see where COVID is at the end of 2021. But our whole slate's going to be out there. Get HBO Max. And, you know, then it'll be really, really interesting for them, for Warner Brothers and all the people at HBO Max, because at the end of the year, they'll know what 17 movies, fresh, brand new movies and some big titles are going to bring to streaming in terms of subscriptions. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea for them. Uh, I read they're still going to attempt to put it in theaters where they can. So that's why we're calling it day and date. It's not exclusive to streaming. So you could go to a theater and forego HBO Max if you want. But that's that's the move they made. Um, and I think it's a pretty smart move because whatever they're doing now is not working. And AT&T, who owns Warner Media, their entire game plan is streaming, is digital that's where they want the company to go and that's why they let so many people go recently they restructured warner brothers recently there's a lot of new people in charge now uh the guy who ran hulu is now in charge of warner media what does that tell you the guy who ran hulu is now running all of warner brothers filmed entertainment tv streaming and theatrical so guess where he's going to drive the content yeah you know it's not the head of the actual distribution <laughs> isn't running warner media the, the guy you know who was dying to make hulu, something out of hulu and couldn't because there were too many that's a whole different story for those of you don't that don't know hulu was owned uh, like 25 25 25 by different studios so no one was really in charge at hulu they couldn't make any couldn't really make decisions uh quickly there um now it's owned by Disney. Essentially, Disney now owns the majority of Hulu, and I don't think they know what to do with it. But still, this guy's from Hulu, started Hulu, and now he's running Warners, and the stuff's heading towards streaming. That's so, my very, very, as usual, long-winded <laughs> answer. Please feel free to edit. No, no, no problem, no problem. So there's there's two very important follow-up questions to, to what you just said, and I'm deciding which order to ask these questions because they're 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 really intertwined. So I'll ask this question first. Warner Brothers announces 17 films. They're going all in. Does this force the hand of the other major studios at this point? Well, I would think it would and should, because again, if we just reverse back to the initial answer I gave you, then it's about math, that it's about numbers. They're facing the exact same math that Warner's is. So if you've got Fast Furious 27 over there at, at Universal, whatever number they're on these days, I don't know, but Fast, Fast <laughs> Furious, the latest... And they want to release it in, in the spring, May, you know, traditionally is late spring, early summer, big, big weekend. And they're facing the exact same marketing information that Warner Brothers is facing. Now, they are not necessarily in as motivated a position 
um, as AT&T is, as this guy, uh, I think his name is John Stanky, who is the CEO of AT&T, who forced a guy named Pepler, who used to run HBO out because he wanted Pepler to jack up content. And Pepler at HBO wanted to curate the content and make sure that it was like, you know, how HBO is they don't release very many shows, but wow, they're pretty damn good. The ones they release. I mean, even if it's not your cup of tea, you got to admit it's all high quality work. So, you know, he was like, yeah, yeah, that's great. We need a ton more. And Pepler was like, well, that's not what we do. And he said, well, then maybe you ought to go. And he went, he's now got a big deal over at Apple Pepler, but Stanky is the one that pushed Pepler out. He's the one that brought in the Hulu guy. Um, the, the Hulu guy immediately pushed out this old school uh, TV executive that had been around forever that, it, that was going to run Warner's streaming. So there's a lot of pressure at Warner's from the top to, to make streaming the future. Uh, whereas you say, okay, well, here we are over at, at Comcast, the owner of Universal. They, you know, they have a big cable network. They, they did start Peacock. I think Peacock's not even in the conversation of streaming services. I mean, it's, it's just not even, uh, you mentioned to me that it has pretty good offerings that you were checking it out that you thought it had pretty good offerings. Well, it's free. I mean, they have a free tier an ad supported tier, and then they've got two tiers uh-huh. beyond that. And even the free tier, if you don't mind watching four ads throughout a movie, I thought had pretty decent content given that it was free. And that bumps up a little right. bit. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't think it right. was, so, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst streaming service I've seen. So now you're sitting over there at Comcast and you say, well, do we get our 25% return theatrically on Fast and the Furious like Tenet did, which is what will happen domestically. Remember, we're always talking domestically here because international, as we discussed in our last podcast, is a wild card. We don't know what those countries' rules will be, but we do know that worldwide, the, the coronavirus is not shrinking particularly in Europe, right? And and um, so Europe is as big a problem as America is right now. You know, Australia's a territory, New Zealand's a territory, you probably get away with some theaters, some parts of Asia. China has its own set of rules as we discussed in our previous podcast. So I would think that if I'm over there, I'd give, give Peacock a chance, um, drive some subscribers, drive some viewers. But we don't know right now what their strategy is. Maybe they don't know what their strategy is, but I would think that they have all the same information Warner's does. They just might not have the same uh, corporate direction and kind of engine behind pushing forward down the tracks, streaming like you have over at AT AT&T with Warner's. Now let's go on to Disney. So Disney's already kind of done it. Right. Disney said, oh, here's Hamilton and here's Mulan. And I guess the next shooter drop will be Black Widow, probably. Right. Wouldn't that be the probably the next one? Well, if the, there's going to be another big one that and they they announced that the new Pixar oh, the, movie, the Pixar well, Christmas coming out, true, which so I believe is. That's, yeah, I was going to say, I believe is not a thirty dollar VOD. It's just it's no, just yeah, straight up. Yeah, because they learned something about Mulan. I got to believe that Mulan, they probably didn't get as many bought, you know, kind of uh, paid viewings on Mulan as they had hoped. But people waited and then joined, you know, because I think a month later it was available to to subscribers. And I think Disney, again, Iger began it. Uh, the new guy over there is pushing it, too. And I think that they're like, I, I suspect Disney will join because, Di- I mean, Di- it's working for Disney, right? I mean, Disney's getting the subscribers they want. And as soon as they put a Marvel movie in there, you know, a brand new Marvel movie, you're going to get that many more that you that you didn't have before 
And let's just face it. I mean, this is whether whether Comcast drags its feet or not. This is this is the future. This is the future. It's got there's going to be a version of streaming movies combined with theatrical availability. Will it be exactly day and date? Will it be two weeks later? Will it be? I don't know. But but this is the direction it's heading. So I got to believe Disney will eventually put most of their their material out next year uh, with on Disney Plus. Maybe they'll continue to charge for some of it. Additional charge. I mean, maybe maybe it'll be just straight up streaming. You know, I guess Paramount has that CBS, I guess the CBS All Access or CBS app, whatever that is, they they have that. So we'll see what they decide to do. Again, I don't I don't know that they have as direct a corporate strategy as as Warner slash AT&T does. And it's funny, you know, it's I just keep thinking, what about Fox? And then you remember, oh, that's right. Disney bought Fox. <laughs> so they're gone. And then you kind of have Sony Lionsgate. MGM and I, they don't really have uh, an, a, a streaming outlet per se, or at least a branded one. Um, so, gosh, I don't know what Sony's thinking. Um, I mean, look how they're struggling with the Bond film. I'm going to hold my my second follow up question because I've got a follow up, <laughs> a sidebar follow up question. Are you surprised, or at least do you find it interesting that one of the biggest companies, I'm not going to say one of the biggest players in the streaming world, but one of the biggest companies in the world, Apple, has not, given the current climate that we're in, has not been more aggressive about buying some of these titles from the studios that don't have their own streaming platforms. Are you surprised that you haven't seen any sort of movement yet? No, not at all. Apple's a very, um, it's kind of a, a like a walled city. You know, it exists. It's funny. Their, their campus is a big giant circle, isn't it? <laughs> There's a book by Dave Eggers called The Circle that, that, you know, and it's all about, you know, these media company. I mean, sorry, the excuse me, these Internet media company, you know, and Apple, they like to keep everything in house. They like it in house. They want to control it from top to bottom. They do micromanage. Yeah, I mean, they bought the Tom Hanks movie. Right. I mean, that was a that was a straight out purchase. Uh, and they got, you know, Tom Hanks out there to kind of to, to, to schlep it for him. The rumor was they were interested in the Bond film, uh, but the asking price was too high. Uh, I initially thought that they that someone might go, you know, seven fifty to a billion for Bond, but but I was thinking to buy the whole franchise, meaning they'd have Bond now and in the future. Then that becomes an interesting purchase because you've got Bond going forward ten more years, but th- they just wanted to sell the movie for $750 million or something like that. And no one, no one was taking at that price. But, but again, that's Sony and MGM saying we, we, you know, we're, we're looking to offload the bond movie and Netflix and Apple did not bite on that. No, I think that Apple was, you know, in this, in this area, they're very happy to be the tortoise. They don't feel they need to be the hare. They're sitting on 130 something billion dollars in cash they can pick and choose. They can go slow. I mean, would they have taken the Bond film at the right price? Sure. Sure. The odd thing here and there, you know, but would they, you know, would they buy Suicide Squad, you know, if Warners was selling it? No, I don't think so. And and so um, I don't even know if they buy the entire DC franchise. Um, maybe. I mean, you know, maybe they could reboot that since since that's been a hit and miss prospect for Warners. They probably would if it was for sale at the right price. But you see what I'm saying is that is that Apple is all about control, all about in-house, 
all about approving things from the top down. And, you know, so just going out and buying stuff willy nilly, if it doesn't, if it isn't like they're on brand on Apple brand, I understand it's very hard to set up shows over there because Apple has a very specific friends of mine that have tried to pitch and set up shows up there. Very successful people have, have uh, had trouble even, even on, on terrific projects, terrific directors and, and writers because Apple has a very specific thing they want and don't want. So no, from what Apple's very, very much about control. So that doesn't surprise me very much. Okay. Whereas Netflix is about volume, right? So Netflix is, as we all know, is about volume every weekend, pound out something new, pound out something new. Just as one show goes away, the new one rolls in, you know, if they come on faster than you can even keep track of, uh, at Netflix. So they're all about volume. Apple is all about control. Now, when you say Netflix, as I promise, listeners, I'm going to get to that second follow-up question, but it's important. Mm-hmm. But, 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 Phil, you're, you're leaving me. You're, you're uh, leaving uh, me with these interesting follow-ups. Sorry. Um, well, I give you the answers that are rambling. No, but long. no, but ahead. I'm it, sorry. No, it's perfect. No, it's it's perfect because it's just you know these these questions pop in my head, and I have to I have to ask you. Um, when you say Netflix is all about volume, does that mm-hmm. translate to low bids for the majority of the content that they license? Yeah, I mean, they're not really, I mean, they're obviously going to compete for the big titles. I mean, if the Bond film comes out, you know, that's a whole different thing. They're now pretty much in-house too. I mean, they're not really, I mean, they'll go to Sundance and and buy stuff. But but that film, the big film at Sundance, I think last year, oh, was that Andy Samberg movie, you know, set in Palm Springs where he, the Groundhog Day movie, the charming, charming movie, I thought. And Hulu bought it for a big price. And, and so, interestingly, Netflix didn't buy it. It did really well for Hulu. Um, um, in fact, I think it, that movie might have, that movie and just everyone telling me about Handmaid's Tale, which I was so slow to get to, finally got me to subscribe to Hulu. Oh, and then the, the, the da- defending Daniel or whatever that was called, that got, you know, enough people kind of chipped away at me and we finally got, got Hulu. But Hulu is way low on volume. You know, once you've watched three or four things, they've got movies. They've got movies, but in terms of new material, wow, it's pretty slim, all things considered. Whereas, you know, Netflix has got the in-house content production machine revved higher and faster than anyone else in all of Hollywood, than any TV studio, movie studio, anybody, Apple, Amazon, anybody. They can churn it and, and put it out faster and uh, and and it works. That the shocking thing is, is that generally speaking, the, the quality's across the board pretty darn good. I mean, they're the ones. It's so brilliant in a way. They're the ones who, toward the early days of all this, gave Adam Sandler that huge deal, right? So Adam Sandler's deal. He had been at Sony forever, and he basically had the deal at Sony where when he had a movie, they would just make it. He had a movie, they'd make it. He had a movie, they'd make it. That's why Sandler's like got a movie a year sometimes sooner, plus would produce Hotel Transylvania or whatever. He'd do all these other things. But that deal, Amy Pascal left, and that was his big champion, and then the deal ended. Boom, Netflix picks him up, and everyone goes, oh, my God, you know, what is Netflix doing picking up Sandler movies? I mean, how many people can that bring in? That, as some of your listeners may or may not know, but that murder mystery movie he did with Jennifer Aniston was like the most watched original Netflix movie they'd ever made. Right, it went through the roof. So all the way to the bank, people. He has a huge fan base, and all the kind of sniffling 
uh, uh, elites <laughs> in Hollywood who thought, oh, my God, you know, who's going to sign up for Sandler? Well, guess what? A lot of people. And and what they're finding find, and what they found in that is that streaming is a lot like comfort food. They, people like to watch stuff that that's easy to digest. And um, so just filling up their banks over there at Netflix with tons and tons and tons of content has worked out really well for them. And they have, you know, they're what? They're 135 million subscribers worldwide. <laughs> it's incredible. Excuse me. Yep. Excuse me. I just interrupted myself. Netflix <laughs> has 167 million subscribers. And and so this is kind of interesting. HBO subscriptions fell from 2017, to 37 million, 37 and a half in 2017 to 34 and a half in 2019. They lost 3 million subscriptions, HBO. Netflix jumped 50% from 111 million to 167 million. Jeez. So now you can understand why they're doing what they're doing with these movies in HBO Max. Okay, so that's going to lead me to this question. It wasn't three hours after the story broke, the Warner Brothers story broke, that AMC's CEO and the, the executives mm -hmm. at AMC fired a, a warning shot across the bow and said, whoa, no, 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 no. We're going to do everything in our power, everything our, our everything we can do to protect our interest and make sure that the company stays profitable. And I remember I texted you and I said, do they even have a leg to stand on? So I'll ask you this. What, if any, recourse does AMC, Regal, Cinemark, the big chains in the United States, do they have any recourse to stop or prevent Warner Brothers from doing what they're doing because you as you well you you know as well as I do that especially in 2021 most of us are going to watch those movies on HBO Max. They have no leverage obviously. They have the, the movie theaters right now have no leverage and it's just a because it's a health issue. Uh in any other time this is why it was so slow for day and date to come around is that there was so much money to be made in, in kind of the cash game of movie theaters worldwide that you kind of didn't, these studios didn't want to bite the hand that fed them through the theaters. And the numbers are much, much better in terms of profit, believe it or not, from a big, and we're talking about big movies here, not, not mid-range movies. And that's why mid-range movies have, have shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk in terms of theatrical release and have gone to, to, to Netflix and Amazon and, and Apple and Disney because the, the mid-range movies are tougher to make your money back on. But the big movies, the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, the Pixar movies, uh, the DC movies, etc. You, if you can do your billion worldwide, you know that's a huge profit for you. So you you couldn't anger the theater owners, uh, and. So they were very, very, you know, they would slowly but surely chip away at the at the window between theatrical and streaming or DVD or, you know, uh, VOD. And now what's AMC going to say? You have to put it out in theaters and not or will what? Well, a year from now, we'll punish you. Um, in, in, in Christmas 2021, we won't carry your christmas release we won't carry dune and hbo max is like well that's okay because we're already going to release dune on on hbo max so what do you we we want subscriptions we don't i mean okay you don't have to but that's just money you won't get and i just think 
unfortunately it's it's like it's just like an unfortunate tsunami that has swept over the, these theater chains. And again, I do note that, that worldwide, it may not be the same. And HBO Max right now is not available internationally. It's only available in the United States. So they're going to have kind of a double whammy test on these films. They'll be able to compare kind of apples to apples. Well, not really, but you know what I mean? They'll be able to go, hey, how did um, Dune do internationally for us? And how did Dune do subscriptions for us domestically? And they'll be able to balance that and say, wow, we left a lot of money on the table because we didn't get a theatrical on Dune domestic. Or they go, wow, you know what? This is, it's it's close. And that will, I think, determine where we are in 2022, how this experiment plays out for Warners and quite possibly Disney, and quite possibly Universal will determine where theaters stand in 2022. Because it's going to be, even with the vaccine, for anyone who's been following the vaccine and how it's going to have to go out, I did, there was a really uh, interesting little, um, it was kind of an app within the New York Times. You could put in your age and your various conditions and all these this kind of information into the app and you could find out what, where you were in line for the vaccine. I am currently 269 millionth person in line for the vaccine. 269 million people are ahead of me. Um, based on all my, you know, which is, you know, fine. I mean, that's the people ahead of me should get it. But the point being, I am not going to be getting this vaccine in March. Um, and a lot of people aren't. So the notion that summer's going to hit and everyone's going to be running to movie theaters, that's, I'm sorry, that's in my opinion. It's just an opinion based on what I read. Uh, I read a lot about it. I'm very interested in it. Um, will not, movie theaters will not be packed full. They'll be 50% at best next august and i think that's very that that's a that's a very rosy view (laughs) on where that will play out so yeah they have no leverage they have no leverage what can they do in fact right now they're just you know for instance sadly enough amc had just announced prior to this that they're going to raise 844 million dollars by selling 200 million new shares of stock to stay afloat next year so they need almost a billion in cash to just stay open and not even open, open, but to, you know, to, to not go bankrupt. So they're, they're already in a very, very tough position. I don't think there's any, a darn thing they can do right now. I want to preface this next question by emphasizing, and I know you feel the same way, that I don't take any pleasure in the idea of movie theaters not being around Going to the movies is one of the things, one of the one of the joys of my life. It's something that, I mean, for for goodness sakes, I've been doing a podcast about movies for the past eight years. It's mm-hmm. what I'm most passionate yeah. about in life. And I tracked it from 1996 when I turned 18 and moved out on my own and purposely found an apartment cl- within walking distance of a multiplex all the way through to at least 2015 to 2016. So 20-year run, I was going to the movies three times a week. So that's more than 150 movies a year. Do the math. That's one of the things I live for. So I take no pleasure in asking this next question. And I know you feel the same way. AMC right now is sitting on a little more than 500 physical brick and mortar locations throughout the United States. And these are big multiplexes. I think the average AMC is at least a 20 screen multiplex. You said it's 800 million to a billion just so they don't go bankrupt. I imagine a good chunk of that is the average rent for these theaters is fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars a month. 
per theater, Mm -hmm. per location. How many do you think are going to close within the next quarter or the next two quarters for AMC? If you were to do a percentage. They don't want to close any. No, I know. They don't want to close any. Um, That's what they're raising this money for. Uh, The thing is about them, movie theaters are very unique. It isn't like you close a Macy's and a Nordstrom's could move in. You close a JCPenney and a Forever 21 could move in. A movie theater is a movie theater. So if you, sorry, that's a very silly statement, but, but you can't just suddenly convert it to some new kind of store, uh, which makes them very unique kind of property. So the owners, the mall owners and the landowners, assuming AMC doesn't own all the property that they, you know, there are some standalone theaters, but I, I probably, most of them are associated in lease, like you were saying. I think they're going to try to to close none of them, I, at least in the first two quarters, unless they go bankrupt. I mean, the, the 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 thing is, is that right now, you know, AMC is saying if they don't raise this money by the end of the year, they will have to close them all, not some, all. And that's kind of the threat to their bondholders, and that's the threat to their shareholders, and so it's kind of like buy this stock or we're going away. So it and it doesn't look good. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't. Well, good because you would be buying stock in a company that's not going to be able to get back to uh, where they where they were uh, until the end of this next year, maybe, maybe. So you're buying to hold for a year in the hope that the streaming thing doesn't end up being as profitable as they thought, and they put all their chips back into theaters. It's kind of hard, you know, once the horse is out of the barn. Um, I suppose they could corral it and get it back in. Uh, I suppose they could split it. But if they split it, that's just a heck of a lot of moviegoers that aren't going to go to your theaters. Then that kills your revenue even if you don't go bankrupt. I think that over time, if I had to guess over time, I think, and that doesn't mean two quarters. I think over time to me means two, three, four years. The theaters could shrink by half in this country. Um, I think that'd be kind of a reasonable assessment. They'd still be everywhere. You'd still pretty much wherever you were have gen access. You just wouldn't have access to four different theater complexes. Whereas like where, where I live, you know, I mean, I have within a gosh, 50 mile radius, there's just must be so there's hundreds of theaters. And so maybe, you know, there's just, there's only 50, maybe there's only 25 and, and those theaters were full. But it just seems to me that it that it should that it will shrink. Uh, but it will shrink over time unless they're they're hit by bankruptcies. And then if you're hit by bankruptcies, then a bunch of theaters will go all at once. But then I have to wonder if that's the case, who would swoop in and take them? What hedge fund? I mean, there's obviously Disney, yeah. you know, could swoop in and take them, but they might not want them. They might not. I don't know that they want them or not, but you need someone with deep, deep pockets that could weather the storm for the next year. I can't remember what the specific law is, but that was struck down this year, the the, the Paramount law, if you will, the, the law mm-hmm. that says studios can't own movie theaters. So can you envision a scenario where they don't like Disney doesn't buy AMC, but they buy select properties throughout the big markets 
you know, because they, they, then they can do the day and date and have just pure profit because now they can own movie theaters. Now Warner Brothers can buy select theaters, a theater in Times Square or a theater in Chicago. You know, I, I can you envision that scenario happening if AM, let's yeah. say, yeah, I think that definitely, you know, for a while there, there was talk of, of Amazon buying some theaters. There were talk of Netflix buying some theaters. Yes. I think that that's definitely a possibility that, that, you know, Disney branded theaters pop up. But I think like we've discussed before, what becomes interesting then is obviously Disney doesn't have enough movies to fill those theaters year round. And after a while, you know, after your first four or five weeks, the, the movie fades out, you're generally ready. And particularly if it's a multiplex, if they're not standalone theaters, like for instance, Disney owns the El Capitan theater here in Los Angeles, where they'll do all their big premieres. Um, it's a standalone. It's not a multiplex, but if you have a multiplex, you need to put 15, 20 movies in there. And that means your competitors have to now put their movies in Disney theaters and give Disney a cut of their yeah. revenue, which is probably not going to sit super well. I mean, it's imagine if like GM having to sell their cars on a Ford dealership lot, <laughs> all the while knowing Ford is absolute promoting Ford ahead of GM because they're competitors, you know? So yeah, the antitrust law has been struck down. They can own them. I'm surprised there hasn't been more talk of them buying them, but if if they're gonna, they're probably waiting until the till the just the last death rattle to get them at the cheapest cheapest price they can. It's sick, but they probably wait until AMC was in the midst of bankruptcy with nowhere to go, and then they get it for a dime or a nickel. But I also kind of wonder if they're like, eh, might not be worth the trouble because they need a lot of content to make that business model work. And frankly, the business model hasn't been successful on its own. Now, granted, as you just said, that's worth the theaters getting 40% of, of the revenue. And in, say, if Disney owned the theater, they'd get, it'd be 100% of the revenue. You know, 40 wouldn't go to the theater owner, they would be the theater owner. But I was looking the other day for a friend of mine, you know, the AMC stock has been plummeting since, since uh, 2018. You know, it's not like it just tanked this year. Um, it peaked. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Sooner than that, it peaked uh, in December 16th, 2016. So it <laughs> peaked four years ago. And that was at $31.90. Today, you can buy that stock for $3.51. <laughs> so, yeah, from 30 to 3. That's just not a good business model and there was nothing going against them in 2016 right i mean what why was 27 i mean i think i think that the all-time box office i want to say 2018 was like the ultimate the highest box office grosses in history and they were at 21 bucks they were still down 10 bucks at the peak of 2018 but my goodness you know you've lost a lot a lot of money if you've owned amc for five years well if you think so about it, it Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, if you think about yeah. it with AMC, I mean, they started that subscription club uh, post 2016. So by that point, they were already looking for ideas on how to how to you know, be in, stay in the uh, in the black, if you will. That's right. It's it's not been a great, you know, a great business. Cinemark, for instance, you know, just looking at it again over five years. Uh, I don't know. This, you know, peaked out at 43 bucks and now it's at 14. You know, but it was flat. It was just for four straight years before this happened. You know, it did. It wasn't going up. It's just, it's just flatlined. 
So they're not really profitable uh, businesses. And you and I have talked in other podcasts about how the, the theatrical has struggled. Uh, so, and as people become more and more used to watching things at home and more used to their screens and, and I just don't, it's a really, really tough business model to make work. Maybe the studios could make it work. Maybe studios would buy them together. You know what I mean? Where, where, I don't know, Warner's Universal and Disney would go out and buy the theaters and then you would get a hundred percent of the, of the movie you put in. You know, you mean so you would get 100% of your movie, they get 100% of their movie, and you know, you share the overhead. That didn't work super well with Hulu, but that might be a way to do it. So, where they all felt like they had some skin in the game and weren't working for just, say, the owners, uh, say, in this case, we've been hypothesizing Disney. Um, But it's look, AMC and the word default is out there. And my guess is they'll raise money, and my guess is they'll hang in there, and then we'll see what the fallout will be once this Disney streaming Warner streaming. I really remember you're talking about Disney Fox and Warners and new line, which is also owned by Warners are all now pretty much all in, in the streaming game. And we'll see what Comcast does. Uh, and, and that will tell the tale a year from now. We can do a follow-up on December 6th, 2021. We'll be able to do a follow-up and see where all these theaters sit and uh, how the streaming, how their streaming plan worked out. Earlier in the week, I, I text you my, my random thought of the day, which was, right now, over in New Zealand, I'm dying to know what James Cameron is thinking about this mm-hmm. entire thing. Mm-hmm. Because you mentioned Fox. Fox is owned by Disney. Fox is the studio behind Avatar. And he's been quietly making 26 sequels all at once, which are going to be released. <laughs> they keep pushing them back. I think it's 2022 is the release date. I wonder what he is thinking, but I also wonder what Nolan is thinking. And I also, you know, these, these auteurs that are larger than life and have the kind of clout to, to literally influence and make decisions. We talked about Christopher Nolan really pushing for Tenet to be released when Warner Brothers probably easily could have, you know, sat on it for a while. We've had those discussions. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a scenario where I'm looking, I don't want to say the worst case scenario. I'm looking at a scenario where, where in 2022, theaters are just not as relevant as they were pre pandemic. And I'm looking at these, I'm Fox and I'm Disney. I'm looking at these, I jokingly said 26, these, these four avatar sequels. And I'm asking myself, which are supposed to be seen in the theater. He's, he's designing new tech for these movies, new cameras. I mean, doesn't he want to do a, a 3D without glasses? Like, doesn't he have all these elaborate ideas he wants to do? I mean, uh, I, I, I've lost track to be honest with you. I, I mean, but I just say like, what does this do for the massive budget production? moving forward if theaters are just if the revenue is just not going to be what it used to be well the avatar you know the first avatar movie the the vast majority of its money was made internationally so you know it did incredibly well domestic but so there's kind of it's kind of a two-part answer is that a we don't even know how much any of this is going to affect the international market given that right now the only significant streaming service that's international is netflix So, uh, you know, I think that it'll go out internationally and hopefully COVID will be tamed and, you know, December, 2022, boy, he's got, he's in the best position just to be right back where he was. And I think that, 
I haven't read a lot about what the international, you know, movie theaters, financial situations are and how well they'll weather this storm coming up or have been. But my, my guess is that, that again, they'll be around and, and I think he'll probably just get his way. Now, will Disney, this is the bigger question because Jim Cameron's like, well, we'll release in theaters. We're 2022. Whether it's not even a question, we'll be in theaters. We'll be in theaters. We'll be in the biggest and the best theaters. And I'm sure like no one theaters will be here and theaters won't be gone and nothing will change that. And theaters will be here forever. And, you know, they're going to give you the big theater speech. You know, it's kind of in, in what they call selling your book. You know, like you're going to sell your position to everybody. And that's what they'll do. And they're not necessarily wrong. Um, the more kind of interesting question is what's Disney's position on Jim Cameron <laughs> and those movies? He got the green light to spend all that money from Fox, not Disney. Now, they are in partnership with him. You know, they've done, they did a big amusement park ride down there at, at Disney, right? With his Disney World has an avatar ride. And I know they've been partners for a long time. They did some other stuff together, but they, and they are now picking up the tab on these movies. So they'll want to squeeze every dollar out of it they can. It will all depend where Disney Plus is at the time. If Disney Plus needs an international boost, at that time that it has not gotten from any of its other releases, believe you me, there will be a squeeze to get it as fast as they can on Disney plus. Does that mean four weeks after the release? Maybe. Hmm. Does that mean Disney plus, you know, but a 50 buck purchase price, you know, because I also got to believe there's another thing that's interesting about all the streaming. I was wondering to myself, wow, all those profit participants on those 17 Warner's movies have got to be going, I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, gosh, yeah. I didn't even think You're about doing, that. I have 20% of the uh, of, of the gross, you know, of the net profit. We gave Patty Jenkins 5% of the, of, of the profit. Well, that's over now. There is no domestic profit. There may be international profit, but again, that money will go against the pro- – if, if, if they spent $300 million, that's marketing plus, and I think it's way higher than that for Wonder Woman – well, guess what? The international will never overcome that number because they only get half of it. So even it's it's cra- it's crazy. So that that's I was thinking, wow, if you had a profit deal over at Warner's for these seventeen movies, you are not. I mean, I don't know what they've negotiated with their agents and stuff because you got to bet agents were picking up the phone, going, "Wait a second, our profit because they just gave away their back end. There is no back end in streaming; it's subscription." None. That's what Netflix, people don't realize what Netflix did with all their TV shows. There's no back end. You get paid up front and it's over. You know, when you make a movie with Steven Spielberg, you're giving away 20% of the profit. And when you make a movie at Netflix, you're giving away 0% of the profit. There is no profit. There's no box office. So, you know, if you get Brad Pitt to make, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the war movie, you know, the crazy war movie he did for Netflix, there's no back end for Brad Pitt on that. Now, maybe they pay him more up front because he's Brad Pitt. So he says, well, normally I'd get back end, but there's no back end. So you're going to give me more up front and they negotiate that. But that back end is in perpetuity, right? Oh, so every time those movies run, they're giving away 20% to Mr. Spielberg or to Harrison Ford or to Tom Cruise. I'm sure Tom Cruise is going, don't you dare say Top Gun and streaming. <laughs> I didn't want to hear the words Top Gun and streaming because I know he has a huge back end deal. He, you know, 
He produces those movies. He stars. He's the engine in that movie. He's like, ah, 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 ah. we will not be giving away my back end to streaming. Or they'd have to give him a big flat fee to make to make up for it. I'll tell you right but now. I'm sure there's a lot going on there. The plot the plot really just thickened when you when you brought that up. Because uh, through this entire, and I've spent, since this news broke last week, I've spent every day, hours a day, reading up on this and really trying to, I don't want to say forecast the future, but try to identify every possible scenario, just so uh, I'm not blown away <laughs> when something crazy happens. Like, okay, well, we saw that coming. We knew that was one possible scenario. But, and you, you, you said it perfectly, there's so many back-end deals that are made with these projects. And I never even thought about residuals and royalties that would be typically be paid. You know, there's the old saying, like when a, when a movie airs on TV, when, 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 oh. when AMC, um, AMC, the network airs a movie, there's, there's backend on every bit of that. And I never, I never oh my even God. thought about that. Every think about Seinfeld. He yeah. made all his money on ancillary on selling into syndication. If you make a uh, Seinfeld, for Netflix, there is no syndication ever. This is why when they book like Shonda Rhimes or Ryan Murphy over to Netflix to pay him these huge upfront numbers you read about, because what they're giving away is syndication. He's going, so Ryan Murphy's saying, hey, if I make a hit for you, I'm never going to see that syndication money. Same with Shonda Rhimes. They go, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, or, or like imagine if, if you make uh, Grey's Anatomy for Netflix, that's it. You make Grey's Anatomy for network, you your great great grandchildren will be seeing checks for real. Like Lucy and Desi probably have checks still coming in for I Love Lucy, <laughs> right? You know it goes on and on and on. So so not at Netflix, not at Apple, not at HBO Max. That, that's why Hulu. That's why Hulu paid one hundred ninety million for Seinfeld. Exactly. That was the deal. So, that was the deal. Wow. So the thing is that I, that I find interesting is that at what point does the cost of production rubber meet the income from streaming road? So right now, so I, again, I did a little, a, a little bit of, 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 of homework and, you know, so Disney plus Disney spends 23.8 billion on content. AT&T is spending 14.3 billion. And Netflix spends fourteen billion on content a year. So I was adding it up, and this is the you know th this perplexes me. If Disney is spending, like we just said, uh, twenty three point eight billion on entertainment, all the Disney Plus subscribers at one year right now equals five point one billion. So how does that work? If Disney Plus at 73.7 or 74 million subscribers times 70 bucks is 5.180 billion, but you're spending 23.8 billion. Uh, that's a long way to go. You gotta, you gotta build Disney Plus to four times that. You got, right? You gotta get Disney Plus to 280 million, really higher than that at 74. Right. But even at 70 million, you got to get it to 280 million at that price point to equal. I guess you could, yeah, to get to make a profit. Maybe you could get it to, you know, I guess you could get it to 300 million 
it's a, they're a long ways away from profitability if all their entertainment isn't theatrical. And this is why I don't think theatrical is going away because, you know, they can obviously cover that 23.8 billion. They have been able to up until now, but they, but they can't if they take away theatrical, at least not, at least not with the current amount of subscribers that they have. No way, not even close. So here's your only answer. If, if in fact you, you can currently, you know, make your, uh, for you know, five point one billion stream. That's what they're making yearly right now, according to the numbers you can find online, which they have to, which they have to make public. And you can make your five point one billion, but you're spending over twenty. You need four times that to break even, um, maybe even five times that to break even. So you're not going to suddenly get 300, 350 million subscribers overnight. Two things have to happen. We're one of two things. One, you get back to theatrical and you augment streaming with theatrical, but you still look for theatrical to give you a huge, you know, basically 75%, right? 75% of your money would need to come from theatrical. 25% of your streaming would cover it. Or, and this is the part I'm very curious about, you bring your costs way down. Yeah. You don't make $200 million movies anymore. You say to yourself, so this Mandalorian show, how much does it cost to produce an hour of that versus a Star Wars movie? And while I do not have the information, I promise you it is a lot less. And remember, the level of finishing you have to do when something is designed to go even on a 70-inch you know, LCD screen is very different than when you go into a 2K, 4K theater. It's much less forgiving CG, uh, as we talked about on our last podcast, you know, that big giant screen that they used that they didn't have to do compositing on, you know, in-camera LED screen on The Mandalorian. So, and they start saying, well, maybe we don't need to pay movie stars. I mean, who are the stars in Mandalorian? I mean, the star is inside a helmet the whole time. He's like freaking Darth Vader. You don't know who's in there. You start saying to yourself, huh, and so if you could lower your spend, raise your subscriptions, now you're breaking even or making money consistently rather than the up and down, uh, you know, craziness of box office. Um, so that's to me, like, for instance, I was also, you know, AT&T spending 14 billion. Well, even at, even at 14 bucks a pop, 30 million people, they're not, they're not getting there. It's interesting. When I wanted to have you on, I was I was like, all right, well, Phil's going to have a lot of the answers I'm looking for. But I think we're going to walk away from this conversation with more questions than we when we do answers. And I don't think we were going to have a definitive solution. I really wanted to just talk about a lot of possible outcomes. And I went into this conversation, I'll admit, I went into this conversation more on the side of I don't think movie theaters are going to make it. And I've walked away from this conversation with, well... I don't know now. Now there's a big, there's, it's, I'm more of, it, this could go either way. And I think you've made me more of a believer in the fact that as much as I love theaters just for nostalgic reasons, they're still a viable economic option for these studios when things get back to quote unquote normal. I think there are too. I think, I, I, listen, it'll all depend on whether or not they can hang on, just like any business that's under fire. If they can't hang on, and if the markets, the capital markets, I mean, 
won't underwrite them until things get better, then no, no, they will go. And then things will just automatic, just default shift because, and, and, and that again comes back to our question of will studios pick up the slack? And I don't know, the math says maybe they should and maybe they will. So if the theaters can survive this and who knows, maybe the studios will step up because they, they realize that there is, you know, real, a real incentive to maintain a certain amount of um, cash flow from, from theatrical distribution. It, it could end up being fine. Uh, because again, that's pretty hard. If Disney ended up one day just saying, forget it, we're going all in on everything we make is, is Disney plus they would either have to reduce their spending, raise their subscription costs, uh, or, or both. So to make money off of it. So it is pretty, it is pretty interesting, um, conundrum for the studios. This has been an incredibly interesting conversation. Like it always is, Phil, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be on the podcast. And there's going to be a lot of us that are just going to be keeping our eye on everything. And, and it's so, what I find so interesting is we were, we talked just two weeks ago and look how much has changed in just that two week period. And so to say that this is a fluid fast moving situation would be an understatement. So I look forward to having you back on the show again really soon, Phil. Thank you as always for bringing your insight into these conversations. Oh, thank you, Dana. It's it's always a ton of fun. Excellent. And my name is Dana Buckler and thank you so much for listening. 